I'm so privileged to um, be sharing God's Word once again with all of you. And so, as is my, my custom uh, when I'm sharing God's Word, um, I always like to extend uh, some heartfelt uh, gratitude and appreciation. So, uh, I want to start first by uh, thanking our senior pastor, uh, Pastor Daniel Nelms, who's not here today. He's taking some well-needed uh, time off and time of rest. Uh, for you know, his friendship, his leadership, uh, I want to thank him for this opportunity to share with all of you the gospel today. Of course, as always, um, I want to thank our elders, one and all, uh, all over the sanctuary uh, for uh, being good stewards of this church. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been perfect, but you have endured faithfully through the trials and through all these seasons, and so thank you so much uh, for being the steward that God has called you to be. Finally, uh, well, not really finally, but um, and I'm, this is probably going to embarrass him, but um, I want to thank uh, Pastor Jim uh, DiBiazzo for taking, uh, being such a servant, uh, being such a servant leader to this church, doing the work in the silence, in the background, no glory, no attention, just being a servant. And taking the helm as our associate pastor here recently, I want to thank you for that on behalf of the church. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, I want to thank him personally, too, on a personal note. Jim, <laughs> maybe he's crazy for doing it. Uh, Jim has uh, so graciously, I, I requested of him to spend some time mentoring me and spending time with me, and, and Jim has so graciously accepted my request to to mentor me. And, and listen, beloved, I don't care where you are in life, everyone needs a mentor. Okay? Amen? It doesn't matter. Uh, someone you can lean on, be accountable to, someone that you can live life with, you share things, receive guidance. So, Jim, thank you for being that to me. It's very special to me. So, thank you for all the guests and our friends who are here today. It's very uh, meaningful to have you uh, present with us. It is a very special day. Amen? Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that. It is a special day. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's a special day for a couple reasons. Um, one, it is the fourth and final Sunday of the Advent season, where we celebrate the first coming of our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, our Redeemer, and Jesus Christ. And that can't be understated. You know, we lit this, uh, the four candles over the last four weeks, and Today, traditionally, the pink candle is lit on the fourth Sunday of Advent because the pink candle represents the shepherd's candle. It's a representation of the coming and the joy that we receive and experience in the coming of our Lord. And we're going to talk about that today. Not quite yet. But we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord today and the joy of this season of Advent. But the other reason that this is a really special day is because two very special people are in the audience today. My father and my stepmother are in the audience today. Amen. And the reason that's so special to me is they have been huge supporters of what God has done in my life and the calling God has had in my life. But I don't ever think they've heard me preach publicly. Maybe they might have heard a little thing here or there, but I think this might be the first time. 
And so I'm really excited about that. Obviously, my dad is my hero. He means the world to me. He knows that. And I just, the, the older that I get, the more life experiences I gain, the more I appreciate that. You know, I've, uh, I'm a grandfather now, a grandfather of two beautiful little boys, one of which his crazy self is in the nursery right now. He was <laughs> on the way here this morning. We were listening to worship music, and you got to see the video. Ask Rosa, she'll show you. He's in his car seat. Rosa's recording him in the back, and he's like praising and worshiping. It was so beautiful. Uh, and we actually have another on the way, so our family is growing. Amen. But I remember, you know, as I, as I go through life in this journey that I'm going through, I, I appreciate Dad more and more and more. You know, I think back to all the first my dad has seen. You know, my, my first step, the first word I spoke, and by the way, I haven't shut up since. <laughs> I, my mother tells me that all the time. She's like, you, you started talking before a year, and you just never shut up. Maybe that's why I'm up here preaching today. But he experienced a lot of firsts. And I think back on all those firsts that dad experienced, you know, uh, he, he, Dad got me my first car. I'll never forget it, Dad. It was a 1986 Buick Skylark. Some of y'all might remember those Buick Skylarks. And I'm going to tell you what, this was in 1996. It was 10 years old. This was a little beater. But I'm going to tell you, it was owned by a little old lady who never drove it. It was in mint condition. I later sold it, but I wish I hadn't. But Dad had seen me through a lot. First graduation, my graduation from the military, Dad had been there through so much. And I can just only imagine having now experienced so many of these firsts myself and now being a grandfather, the joy that comes with all of those moments of life. But those moments of joy don't come without struggle. Amen? And if you have children or grandchildren, you understand this more than most. And so I remember distinctly, I think I was about 14 or 15 years old or so, and it wasn't a, my dad and I's best moment, mainly mine. And I remember distinctly, Dad, you probably remember this, I was so ugly with Dad. And I was yelling at him, and I was just really angry. I was this young teenager, and I was screaming at him. And I remember Dad never said a harsh word back at me. And I didn't really understand it then. But I now know the disappointment and the sorrow he must have felt in that moment. So if I haven't said it, Dad, I'm sorry for that. And now that I experience that, I understand the balance in our, between our joys and our sorrows. And it makes me think of the joy of God, the, the joy of the Lord, that there is a joy and expectation, and I am absolutely certain that when I was in that moment, I'm going to say it's a moment of stupidity. Some of our kids can be really stupid sometimes. I was. Um, I, I can only imagine, as I do with my own children, when they're in their moments of silliness, that there was still a joy of hope and expectation. That, you know, I've plant, I think I've planted enough good stuff that I have this joy of the anticipation of the future. And I'm sure that maybe Dad 
And even some of you have experienced that with your own children. I certainly have with my own. And so that's what I want to talk about today, is this joy, the joy of the Lord. But before we get into that discussion, guys, I think it's really important that we establish some definitions that we are on the same page as it relates to what it means to experience joy. Or what this word, and you can substitute it with any other word. It could be happiness. It could be, you could be cheerful. It could, uh, whatever the word is. But the idea is joy. And there are numerous in the scriptures, right? Because what is relevant to us is not the worldly perspective of joy. Because, guys, what? That's, that's fleeting. But it's the godly, biblical perspective of joy that is enduring and everlasting. Amen? Amen. And so that's what I want to spend some time talking about today, but we have to define it. And the scripture talks immensely about joy. From Genesis to Revelations, you hear about joy, rejoicing, gladness, and cheer. You hear about this throughout the text, the biblical text. I'll give you a few examples. In Psalm 65, verse 11 through 13, it talks about our crops and our land bringing us joy and gladness and the bounty of our crops. Now, most of us aren't farmers. Rose and I happen to be farmers, and so we, we appreciate this text a little differently. But it talks about the joy that comes with our flocks. It, in, in Psalms 104.15, it talks about wine making the heart glad. Jeremiah 33, it talks about the joy of a wedding, and in Proverbs, it talks about the joy of childbirth. So there's countless scriptures that give us this idea of joy, but those moments of joy, when inherently there is nothing wrong with it, they are fleeting. But there is a joy in the narrative of the Scripture that is a little different. It's a joy that is an extreme joy, a joy that transcends, it supersedes, it abounds over and beyond those moments. Because with every high, beloved, how many of you know there is a low? With every mountain, there is a valley. And so in between those moments, in between those mountains, we experience valleys. So what do we do in those valleys? How do we maintain a joy that is enduring and everlasting in the valley? We want to talk about that today because the joy of the Bible, the joy that is everlasting and enduring cannot be contingent on our circumstances and situations. They cannot be dependent on external factors. See, the joy of the Lord is just that. It is the joy of the Lord. See, the joy that the Bible talks about, it is one that is in, with, for, through, and all God. That's a full stop. It is centered completely on his salvation, on his redemption, on eternal life. Ultimately, our joy is rooted on he who is Christ. Amen. But see, the joy of the Bible involves an anticipation. You see, just like I said, with my dad and, you know, myself with my children and grandchildren, there's an anticipation for the joy that's coming. The script, there's a passage that even says, greater is the joy. 
tomorrow. Because now, it's not so good. And so as we think about these things, as we come to this place where we're now having this definition of what joy means, I want to take you to a little bit of historical context to understand it. I don't really think, beloved, you can fully understand the idea of joy if you don't know the story of the Hebrew people. If you don't understand the history of the Jewish people, you will always miss the fullness of God's joy because they gave us this great picture and this story of what it means to endure and still be full of joy. And so as we look at this, we're going to get into some scriptural texts, and I really, guys, you know me, if you've heard me preach before, you know we dig into some scripture, and we're going to do that today, so stay with me. We're, I, there's only one text that I'm going to ask you to draw together with me, and the rest I will reference as we go along. Um, but as was the case, and we're going to be in Luke 2, so you can go there really quickly. But as was the case with the Jews of the first century and the shepherds, which we're about to read about here in a moment, there is an anticipation of joy. See, these shepherds that we're about to read about in just a moment, they, in their anticipation, in their waiting, in this moment of expectation of great joy, they didn't walk. They didn't jog. They ran. They ran to the joy of the Lord who is Jesus. They left everything behind, and we're going to get into this in a second in the text. They left everything behind. We're going to go to Luke, and we're going to read from Luke. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Whatever version you have is just fine. It'll get us to the same place. Um, If you would, those of you who can, will you stand with me in showing reverence to the reading of God's Word? We're going to read uh, from verse 8 to 16 together today. And thank you for showing reverence to God's word today. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the reading and revelation of your word. Amen. And in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it reads, In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight into Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. You know, we read those few passages. I want to spend a few minutes not examining the entire text, but there's two passages right in the middle that I want to take a look at. Actually, it's really 
10, and then we'll look at 15. I'll read this passage again for you. It says, do not be afraid, for behold, and, and pay attention, this is important, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, now, you might read past this very quickly, but I need to pause here. We need to stop and talk about this text a little bit because there is some real significance to this text. If we're really grasping the joy of the Lord, you have to see this. Here's a group of men who are late in the evening out in the field. These are the lowliest of society, these shepherds. If you don't know about the culture uh, of, of first century uh, um, uh, Judea, Palestine, that area, the shepherds were the lowliest of society. These are the men who were, they did the dirty work. I mean, they were shepherding the sheep and, and they were from time to time bringing in the spotless lambs for examination of the priest. I mean, they were looked down upon and they were given this message of joy. But there was this proclamation and confirmation that's given to them in the text that's important. The angel says, now mind you, this is, these are Jewish men who understand Torah. They, 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 they were schooled as men in, in the law and the prophets. They knew Torah. And the angel said to them, today is born a Savior. But there was some clarification that was given. Because, see, he wasn't just any ordinary Savior. Why is that important? Because you see, there were other saviors before Jesus. There were those, if you understand history, there were those who claimed to be the Messiah before Jesus. There were those who claimed to be Messiah after Jesus. And the angel said, this is a savior, but he's better than the saviors of old. You see, there were other saviors. Read the book of Judges. There were many saviors in, in the history of Israel, but they said, no, 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 let me clarify. This isn't just any savior. No, this is the Christ. Now, okay, we read it in the Latin, Cristo. We read the Christ. But no, he said, this is the Messiah, which had huge implications for these first century Hebrew uh, Jewish men. Huge implications. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. He is the Son of Man. This is the Servant of God. He is the prophet greater than Moses. Amen? They would have understood that. They would have known that word carried that weight. See, we miss it. We don't, we don't catch that. We, we read through that. It's the Christ. Okay, it's the Christ as it's cavalier, as it's a matter of fact. But no, this had great significance for them. He was their, the Messiah was their deliverer, their conqueror, their redeemer. He was their restorer. They obviously thought a little differently about what that might look like. But nonetheless, he was those things. Now, why was that so important? I'm going to give you all just a little bit. I'm not going to rack your brains too hard. But 
we're coming out of the dark years, the, the years in which God did not speak. In theological terms, it's called the intertestamental period. It's a period of four years where the Hebrew people really, the Jewish people felt in a way abandoned. They, they felt God wasn't speaking. There was no prophetic words and utterances. The, the age of the prophets had gone. God wasn't speaking during that period and during that time. And on top of the lack of God's voice and his guidance and his presence in the everyday life of Jews through the prophets, they spent 400 years under the oppressive rule of one empire after another starting with Alexander the Great and his empire and that empire that divided. I won't give you too much of a history lesson and how it splintered and there were three generals and factions that took over the empire after years. Ultimately, its dysfunction led to the rise of arguably the most oppressive empire in history, in the Roman Empire. And that brings us to today in the biblical text. Now, I don't know about you, But if I'm feeling abandoned, and I've been oppressed all my life, I got nothing left in the tank. I got nothing. All I have are the words that he left me with 400 years ago and before. All I have is the hope of his promise. That everything up to this point that he said he was going to do, he did it. But he said there, there was going to be so much more. And the, 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 the Jewish people clung to their, their prophet Isaiah. He was their major prophet. They clung to the words of Isaiah 9, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53. They clung to the words of the coming of the Messiah and what he would look like. And they hung on to those words and that promise. And so here we are, shepherds who meet an angel who says, hey guys. He's here. I want you to go find him. He's here. So now think about that. Okay, now you have that context. I want you to use that image and that, 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 those emotions that you might be feeling, and I want you to now run with the shepherds to Bethlehem. I want you to run now to Bethlehem with the shepherds with great joy and anticipation. Your circumstances hasn't changed, by the way. You're still poor, you're still broke, you still got to go out and feed the sheep tomorrow. Your circumstances hasn't changed. But now you're running to Bethlehem with great joy and anticipation because the Messiah has come. And they were filled with the joy of the Lord. See, joy supersedes our circumstances. Amen? It transcends even generations of oppression, generations of struggle, generations of poverty, you name it, you fill in the blank, you see, it supersedes all of that. Let me tell you a little bit about what the text says now that I've given you the history. See, Romans 15 says that we are filled, that God fills us with his joy. It is not something that we have. Again, because everything else is circumstantial, we can't find this everlasting, enduring joy at Walmart. We just can't. This is a joy that only God can give us and God can fill us with. But here's the great thing about it, guys. Once you get it, it can never be taken from you. 
Amen. Once you receive the everlasting and unconditional joy of the Lord, the scripture says it cannot read John. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read the words of Jesus. It's in John 16. I'm going to go there really quick. It cannot be taken from us. Let me read that for you really quick. Um, John 16, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it quickly. These are the words of Jesus. If you believe Jesus to truly be the Son of God, if you believe that the Bible is infallible and every word in it is true, then believe this. Jesus says it in John 16, 22. Rather, uh, yes, 22. He says this. Therefore, to you have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Wow. But see, joy that, that God fills you, not only can it not be taken from you, but the joy of the Lord is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Read Galatians. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But Psalms 51 actually tells us that salvation is our joy. That the salvation of the Lord, the, his redeeming work in our life, guys, is our joy. And it's enduring. Okay, I didn't want to keep you all too long today. So all of that said, what does all that mean? What does that mean to us? Guys, you know me, if you've heard me preach before, I try to be very, very practical with the Word of God. Okay, and if you don't know this, the Bible's not written for you. Okay? It's not written for you, it's not to you. It was written for first century Jews, first century Gentiles and believers of Jesus. We transfer the Word across the annals of time and apply it to our lives. We have to read it in its context. So how do we cross the annals of time to get the Word to apply to us? What is all that we just read? What does it mean for you right now in this season, practically, when maybe you just lost a loved one? Or maybe your loved one isn't doing so well. What does it mean? What does this word mean when maybe your health is fading? How do we apply this word when maybe you're struggling this moment, right now, this season, mentally or emotionally? What does this word mean to us when I just can't free myself from whatever bondage I'm going through, whatever addiction that's gripping me? What does this word mean to me? Some of you may be asking yourself that question right now. So what? I want to answer that question for you today. As we wrap up in the second half of this message. I want, to, I want to answer that question because what is the point of all this if we can't answer that question? What's the point? See, joy, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, joy is an essential part of your life as a believer. It has to be a, 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 a founding foundation of your life as a believer. It has to be adopted as an attitude that we hold on to. One that we cherish and hold dearly because the spirit of our triunal God fills us with this joy and it transforms our attitude. Have you ever had someone say, maybe some of you out there who maybe have been a Christian for a while, maybe you're new to Christ and said, someone said, something's different about you. 
I just can't picture it. But, you know, a year ago when you were in this situation, you lost your ever-loving mind. But today, you're, you're different. There's a, a joy, a stillness, a peace, you see, because it's an attitude that we adopt as believers and that we hold on to and that we embrace despite and in spite of our circumstances. That when the trials are pressing, we hold on to the hope and the promise of Scripture. That we hold on to the promise that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Can someone say amen? I'm gonna, I told you I would try to take you on a little journey, so let's go back to the history of Israel. And I want you to think for a moment about their time in Egypt. The psalmist recounts this story kind of nicely. But if you think about the story of Egypt, the scriptures tell us that they were oppressed and they were, they were enslaved uh, for hundreds of years. And then suddenly God rose up Moses to deliver them from their oppression, to deliver them from their bondage and from their slavery. And the Bible says that upon their deliverance, it says, what did the people do? They rejoiced in the Lord that they praise God. Read further on in the text where you find the people in the desert place, far from the promised land, in a dry, parched desert place without many resources. And the Bible says that even in the dry and desert place, they praised the Lord. We see Countless examples, one example after another of the people of God, despite their circumstances, praising with great joy of anticipation of his promise. Later, the prophets write about one who would be greater than Moses. The prophets write about this man who would be greater than Moses, who would also come to redeem the people. And so, like the saints of old, we too, beloved, as modern saints and believers in Christ, we too, as we await his second coming, as they awaited his first coming, we must too adopt an attitude of joy. It's a permanent disposition that we experience in our life that no matter what, we are praising the Lord with great joy. Again, Luke 2, I'm going to read that the, briefly that text again. You see, Luke 2 says it again. He says, Luke 2 says that this was great news or good news of great joy. And they went running. Are you running after the great news and the good joy that has been presented to you today? Are you running after the Christ who is coming? Because he's already coming and the Bible says he's coming again. Amen. Are you running after this God with great joy, gladness, and thanksgiving today? Let me read to you a few more scriptures before we close. Because I want to be realistic. Like I said earlier, there is sorrow in the joy. Guys, I don't want to be um, unrealistic. And I'm not going to say we're not going to experience times of sadness, sorrow, heartache. 
I want us to embrace that. I don't want us to run away from it. I don't want us to fear it. I don't want us to, to, to step back and shrink from those feelings. No, that, that's not what we do at all. It's not healthy, first of all. But secondly, I want to I give you some scriptures that I think will help you still maintain your joy in this season, despite those emotions. I want to read to you really quickly from Matthew. Today, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read 11, uh, 11 and 12. Uh, my Bible study group and I just got done uh, doing a, an eight-week series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we are in this text. And this is a very beautiful text from the Beatitudes. Where you at, Rosa? What you call them, Rosa? The Beautitudes? <laughs> if you guys don't know, I always t- find a way to tease Rosa once, at least once in my sermon. All right, that was it, honey. Okay. The Beatitudes in, in uh, uh, Matthew 5, 11, Jesus' words, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. Your reward in heaven is in great, is great for you in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to I read to you a little bit about what, what Paul said. You know, Paul, in his um, ministry, the great apostle to the Gentiles, um, if you've ever read Acts and some of the other stories, if you haven't, you should read Acts. My, my study group and I are going to be going through this, uh, all of Acts in the spring. Uh, if you haven't read it, Paul actually experiences a lot of heartache, a lot of, a lot of troubles, and a lot of sorrow in Acts. And he actually writes about it uh, in greater detail in one of his prison epistles that he actually writes from prison where he is experiencing great hardship. And so I want to read a few verses for you so that you could see how Paul himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ, apostle to the Gentiles, experienced and dealt with challenges. I want to read to you from verse 3 of of Philippians, or chapter 3 from Philippians, uh, verse 1, Philippians 3, 1. Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again, things again, is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. What is a safeguard? What is Paul talking about? Paul said that the joy of the Lord is your safeguard. Can someone say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go on. He, in chapter 4, Paul writes this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Beloved, Paul was experiencing great hardship. Paul was beaten, imprisoned. He was flogged more times than Paul would really like to consider and count. But Paul kept Christ first and foremost in his heart and mind. I want to read one more. Actually, there's going to be two more passages I want to read to you. Again, this idea of joy comes right from Scripture. I need you to see it. We're going to pull it right off the pages today. And we're almost done. And after I read this, I'll, uh, I'll ask the worship team to come back up. 
2 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I'm going to read a few passages. Bear with me, and we'll get, to, we'll get there together. 2 Corinthians 6 says, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labor, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, knowledge, in patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil reports and good reports, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as known yet, as unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold, we live as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul so powerfully describes, I would argue, every circumstance and situation that one of you is going through in this room. Everything that he described. But that last passage I thought was beautiful. Sorrowful yet rejoicing. We can adopt the attitude of joy that will carry us through the seasons in the valley because our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. That it is in his second coming where he will make all things new. Where the word of God starts in a garden, it will end in a beautiful garden. Amen. And so I'm going to call the worship team up here, and I'm going to read this final passage to all of you today. If you've never read the end of the book, I want you to know that we won. That's what we hold on to. We won. Maybe you didn't hear me when I said it the first time, because I would have jumped out of my seat. We won. So I want to read to you from the very last page of the very last chapter of the good book. And this is Jesus' final words, as John recounted in this vision. This is Revelations 22. You got a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open it. Revelations 22. We're going to read from verse 10 and we're going to read to the end. Because we won. Amen and amen. Now listen to the words that John accounts and the words of the Lord here. As you get there, I want all of you to get there. So I'll give you just a second. Just open up the last page. It's right there. Excuse me. Okay. And starting in verse 10. 
and then we're going to pray. I do want to spend a little time in prayer with you guys today. And as we, um, before I read this, as we um, close, as we spend this time in, in prayer and worship, and as the worship team leads us in a final song, and when it's appropriate, when the elders come up uh, for those who need prayer, I don't want you to leave this place the same way you came in. The Word of God is moving, it's powerful, and it's transformational. And I read to you a lot of passages today, from the old to the new, and I did it by design, because the continuity of God's Word is amazing, and we experience His joy from Genesis to Revelations and beyond. So let us read his final words together. His final message. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And John writes, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And John writes that the spirit and the bride says, say it with me. What does he say? He says, come and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who thirsts say, come. And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecies of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this big book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let us take a quick moment to pray. We're going to spend some time in worship. And then, again, when appropriate, the elders will come up. I do not want you to leave this place the same way. If you need prayer. And listen, guys, you don't need to be an elder to pray. The elders are very anointed. They're blessed. They do a great job in prayer. You too can pray for someone in need today. From your seat, right where you are, you too can pray. God has given us that gift. 
pray for someone today in need? Let us pray. Father, we approach your lofty throne of majesty and grace, unworthy and undeserving, beggars before a holy, holy, holy king. As we endure this life of struggle, of hardship, which you said there will be, you said there would be hardship in this life. You said we would be persecuted for your name's sake. You said they would hurt us and abuse us as the prophets of old. But you said you would give us a joy that's beyond all understanding, a peace beyond comprehension. So today we lay down our worries. As some of us sit here today in our valley, and we don't know how we're going to get back to your mountaintop, Lord, but we hold on to the promise that you are a God on the hill and the valley, that you never leave us and you've never forsaken us, that you are a God everlasting, a God of covenant. You are the covenant maker, the covenant keeper. We eagerly anticipate your second coming, but we thank you that you have not yet come for so many people were still lost. Our community is bound in darkness. And so in your grace, you withhold your second coming so that those may come to know you, so that we may preach the gospel, that we may speak your truth in every highway and byway, in every town and every city, that we may sing your name from the rooftops, God. But today we lift you up. We lift you up in corporate praise and worship, and we pray that you bring a transformation to someone's life today. Even if it's one, it was worth it. You left the 99 to go after the one, and so too shall we. So thank you, Father, that even in our struggle, we can still worship you and serve you and praise you, and we can still be a symbol. As Israel was, that they struggled and they continued pushing forward, we too, as we anticipate your second coming, will continue to push forward. Thank you, God, Father in heaven, that you've given us your son for our redemption that we may be washed clean by his blood, that we may receive his glorious white robe of righteousness because we have none of our own. We ask that you bless this congregation. We ask that you bless the people, even those who are not a part of this church but came to visit, came to be in this fellowship. We bless them and keep them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God say, Amen. Thank you so much.